precious wife, along with her came the most honorable, Christ-like father-in-law I could have ever searched for had I been looking for one. And I'm just thankful for Brother Ellard and Sister Ellard and for their uh, investment in the work of the Lord in Greenville, Mississippi. Brother Ellard is a builder. He is a builder not only in construction, but he's a builder of souls of men. And that is, a te- that is testified by the work of the Lord in his church, the men and ladies that he has established in that uh, city of Greenville, Mississippi. So good to have you with us, Brother Elder. We want you just to come and deliver your soul today. Take your liberty in the Lord. Everybody, let's give our undivided attention. Let the Lord speak to us today as Brother Elder comes. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Don Heyman. I am so blessed to be in this meeting. I have had some experiences that have been so worthwhile coming. And uh, thank you, Brother Green, for the preaching of the Word. I I saw somewhat of my dad standing here, and I say that very honorably. My dad said those words that you repeated a few moments ago, you got to have a backbone like a solo. He said, son, sometimes preaching is going to be like eating honey, but sometimes it's going to be like sawing logs. And uh, I, I know that there are occasions, praise the Lord for that occasion, where you just had the grace of ignoring the remarks that were said. You know, you're driving down the road, and... Um, a trail of ants come across the highway. It's not hard to ignore them. I mean, you're not going to stop all the traffic and jump out and say, wait a minute, everybody, what's wrong with you? And well, there's some ants that's crossing the road. Uh, you can ignore that. If a mouse runs across, you know, you're not going to have a wreck. I mean, zoom, there he is. You may see him, but you may not. It's not hard to ignore that. Even a rabbit, I'll let a 200-pound deer. I mean, you're going to have to reckon with it. But let a semi-truck cross in front of you. I appreciate this meeting. I appreciate the preaching. I appreciate the worship. I appreciate the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. I feel changed. I feel changed. And so I, I just thank you, Brother Heyman, Brother Don Heyman, for the invitation to come and to be with you at this conference of 1997. Something indeed is happening here at Calvary Apostolic Church. Hallelujah. Something is happening here. It's happening to us. Israel went through a pattern in her years after leaving Egyptian bondage. And uh, it was an over and over pattern. They would fall into sin. And then God would let them go into servitude. And then they would uh, experience sorrow, repentance. And God would send a deliverer and bring salvation. And it happened over and over again in their life and history. Sin, servitude, sorrow, and salvation. In the times that the Lord would send deliverers like like Gideon, Jephthah, like Samson, great men who would come and would lead them out of their dilemma, out of their sin, to a point of salvation. I thank God for His Word. I thank God for His people. Today I'd like to carry you to 1 Kings chapter 13, and I would like to read verse 1, 2, and 3, and then skip to a little later part in the chapter. 1 Kings chapter 13, And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar in the words of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born in the house of David, 
Josiah by name. And upon thee shall he offer the priest of the high places that burn incense upon thee. And men's bones shall be burnt upon thee. And he gave a sign that day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord hath spoken. Behold, the altar shall be rent, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. Let's look at verse 11. Now there dwelt an old prophet in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. The words which he had spoken unto the king, them they told also to their father. And their father said unto them, What way went he? For his sons had seen what way the man of God went, which came from Judah. Verse 19, for one more reading. So he went back and did eat bread in his house and drank water. A lot of history is here. And I, I've got to cover some of it, I feel. And if you'll give me that time to do so and just stay with me, then we'll get to the point of what I feel from verse number 12, 11, 11 and 12. The best I can understand that the prophet that is termed the old prophet had been in Bethel and he had, his voice had long been silenced to the sins of Jeroboam. He had not spoken out, and the best I can tell, he is in a backslidden condition. For he tells a lie to this prophet who comes to Jeroboam's altar. He tells a lie to him. I don't think you can lie and be right with God. I think you've got to make the lie right to get right with God. Anybody believe that? So I believe that when I talk about this prophet in verse 11 and verse 12, that when the sons that live in that household that have departed the faith, who have left the faith, who have walked away from truth, that we see these sons are watching which way this true prophet is going to go. And I believe this world is watching us to see which way we're going to go. I believe this conference is helping us to determine we're going to still hold truth and we're going the way of truth. I must tell you that when that prophet came to Jeroboam and he had finished his message, he was on his way home. And I'm telling you, this church is on her way home. Somebody's watching us as we are on our way home. I want to preach today, which way will we go? Which way will we go? Which way will we go? It has been uh, kind of splashed across the pages. I see that when Pharaoh was observing Israel when she left Egyptian bondage, he wanted to know which way she was going. And so he looked and he began to observe that, why, wow, she's not going, they're not going the way I thought they would go. Well, when God's leading, we never do go the way the world thinks we're going to go. And so the Pharaoh said, they're mixed up. 
They're going to just be entangled in the land. They don't know where they're going. But what he didn't know, and I've said it before, but it bears repeating. He could see their direction, but he could not see their director. Hallelujah. I want you to know one thing. Though they may have gotten in a jam at one particular point, facing the Red Sea and the armies of Pharaoh behind them, Pharaoh wanted to see which way they were going, and he said, they're mixed up, they're entangled in the land. I'm not going to let them go. I'm going to bring them back. And so there's a press in this world to try to get us to, to come back. To come back. So it was with this prophet. He set out on a journey to, to bring him back. I would have been so impressed if he would have left the city and went out there and under that oak tree would have said to that prophet, I need prayer. I need you to pray for me. But instead, his influence was to try to bring him back and bring him down to where he is. So when I, when I see the setting of this story, I, I have to tell you that Elijah came to Mount Carmel, and when he did, uh, folks were wondering, which way are you going to go? And he, he announced, he said, the God that answers by fire. How long will you halt between two opinions? If you're wondering which way I'm going to go, I'm going to stand. And he said, I feel all along today, you've got 450 prophets, but I'm going to stand today and the God that answers by fire. Let him be God. Hallelujah. The sons of the prophets were appearing. And uh, when, when, when uh, Elijah and Elisha entered into uh, Bethel, they said, don't you know, they said this to Elisha, don't you know your master will be taken from you today? In other words, why don't you just let him depart in peace? He said, hold your peace, I know it. And when he got to Jericho, another group of the sons of the prophets said, Don't you know that your master is going to be taken from you today? He said, I know it. Hold your peace. But then the Bible says that when, when Elijah and Elisha got to the, the old Jordan River, Elijah said, You stay here for I've got to go over Jordan. He said, Oh, no, you're not going to leave me. But over in a distance somewhere, looking from afar off, were 50 sons of the prophets. They were going to watch to see which way this younger prophet was going to go. I stand between those of the older years and those of the younger years. And I say, though this world is watching which way we're going to go, may they understand clearly that we're going to stick with the truth. Hallelujah. And so the sons of the prophets looked on to see exactly what would happen. And when the departure time came and the mantle from heaven began to fall, oh, Elisha wrapped it up. He walked back to Jordan and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smoked those waters, his first miracle. The last miracle of Elijah was the first miracle, miracle of Elisha. And the sons of the prophets were so shocked. They said, The spirit of Elijah, the God of Elijah, rests upon him. And so the world is watching. The world is watching. And when I, let me give you a little history here about this occasion. Israel had enjoyed three, three different kings that had united them together. It was, first of all, Saul with 40 years of reign. It was then, uh, it was then David with 40 years of reign. 
And then it was, uh, it was Solomon. 120 years of, of reigning together. The golden years of Israel. But because of sin and because of walking away from God, the kingdom split. The young man, Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, would not take the advice of the older men, would not take the advice of the elders, but he took the advice of the younger men and would not lead Israel according to the counsel of those with age and wisdom. And I want to tell you something. He was the kind of a guy that when Egypt decided, like King Shashak decided, I'm going to invade Israel, and he swept down, and he took all of the golden vessels out of the house of God. Rehoboam said, well, no big thing. I, I didn't invest anything here. I didn't make them. They're not hallowed to me. And he replaced them with brass. We cannot uh, afford to substitute the sacred shields of prayer, Brother Green. And of a burden for our world, we must somehow... But this, this king decided, it doesn't matter to me. I'll replace it with a lesser substance. substance. And he replaced them with brass. As time moves on, we find that the kingdom split. And Rehoboam was over Judah and Benjamin. And the ten tribes that became known as Israel was under Jeroboam's rulership. Now Jeroboam was not a spiritual man, and when unspiritual leaders try to lead people in spiritual ways, they resolve to substitutes. And so he's the one who decided, if I let these people along and let them go back to Jerusalem and let them worship there, they're going to get things right with God and they'll return to their Lord, which was the king of Israel. So he's the guy who came up with the two golden calves, one at Bethel and one at Dan. When you do a study of that, you will find out that what really happened there was that this man, indeed, he wanted to bring just a kind of a symbol there. He knew that these people believed in one God, but he brought a golden calf as a symbol. But beyond that was that he was wedging division. Because he said, we're not going to go to Jerusalem anymore. But the Lord said, that's where I put my name. That's where you've got to bring your sacrifices. But Jeroboam said, we don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. We can go to Bethel and we can go to Dan. That wasn't all that he did, but on the seventh month, the fifteenth day, it was the Feast of Tabernacles. He decided we're not going to have the Feast of Tabernacles on the seventh month of the fifteenth day. I'm going to change that, and we're going to put it the eighth month and the fifteenth day. So he is driving a wedge of division. I want to keep them separated. I don't want them to get back together. Here he is, Jeroboam. He, he ordained priests. He, he made priests of the lowest degree. He brought those into the priesthood whose lives should not even be uh, trying to see after spiritual things. Is it any wonder that God picked up a man out of Judah with the clash that was going on between the ten tribes and the two that He picked a man up out of Judah and said, I want you to go to the altar of Jeroboam and I want you to curse that altar and while you are speaking and telling them that a child will be born by the name of Josiah, that he'll burn the, the priest and their bones will be burned on these altars, that a sign that you're speaking is true, that altar will rend, that altar will rend, it will split, 
and the ashes will be poured out while you are talking. And so that's the setting of our chapter. That's the setting that here Jeroboam is. He's at Bethel. God, uh, God has some things that are sacred to him, and Bethel was one of them. I read of three occasions of Bethel. First of all, when we are introduced to Bethel, it was Jacob at Bethel. And he named it the house of God. The next time that we read of Bethel, Jacob calls it El Bethel. And that means the God of the house of God. But Brother Young, the next time we read about Bethel, or one of the occasions, is in Hosea. And it's called beth the house of idols. If we don't take the house of God and worship the God of the house, we're going, to in, we're going to make this house, the house of God, nothing but a house of idols. And that's what Jeroboam did at Bethel. But one day while he is sacrificing, an unnamed, unknown man walks up and steps right in his face and starts to tell him some things about what God wanted him to say. A scripture in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 21 says, My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. When this prophet, and I, I, the Bible doesn't give us a, a category. I don't know his age. I don't know whether he was young, middle aged. I don't know. It just says, a prophet of the Lord. He comes from Judah. I know where he comes from. I know where he is to go, and he arrives at Bethel, and Jeroboam is in one of his services. And he walks up, God had sent him. I said, God had sent him. When I, when I introduced my message today, which way will we go? Jesus looked at his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 66. And from that time, many of his own disciples walked with him no more. The Bible says before it says, walked with him no more. It says, went back, went back, went back, and walked with him no more. He turned and said, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words to eternal life. And certainly he said, we believe in them that they are true. Hallelujah. Which way are you going to go? disciples, though those have gone back, we're going to keep going on even though some are going back. Can I get an amen? amen. Hallelujah. So throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Word of the Lord, the Hebrew boys were standing there on trial, standing there in jeopardy, standing there before the king. And he said, I'm going to give you another opportunity. At the sound of the music, you need to bow like everybody else is bowing. I want to see which way you're going to go now. You stood out there and would not bow when everybody else was bowing, but you're before me now, and I'm going to see which way you're going to go now. And they said, Oh, King, we're not so careful as to answer you when he said, Who is the God that shall deliver you from my hands? We're not so much careful to answer you or quick or hasty to tell you, but we're going to let you know one thing. Our God is able, and if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. That's the way we're going. Before the whole multitude, it brought out their devotion. Before the king, it brought out their determination. 
But in the fire, it brought out their deity. Their God showed up. Hallelujah. And the Lord decided, he, He's decided many, many times, rather than to uh, get, make it possible that we escape suffering, He's decided not to take away suffering sometimes, but to add strength. Amen? But He will do that. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. I've never found a time where the Lord did not strengthen you for a time you needed strength. Or I needed strength. So, so here we are. Here we are. We are looking at a man who has been given a mandate. It's not just a recommendation. It's a requirement. The Lord said, I want you to go, cry against the altar, and say, O altar, thus saith the word of the Lord. So here we are. He was sent by God to declare the truth, God's truth. He was sent to denounce the falsehood of Jeroboam. He would, uh, if he's going to denounce something, he must, first of all, he must, he must detest something. Amen. There's some times in our life that not only do we have to stand for something, we have to stand against something. Amen. So this man would not be deterred from God's purpose that he failed to detect something in a professed prophet. Satan waged a war against the Word of God. Bear in mind some things about this prophet who stopped at Jeroboam's altar. When he began to speak, as he was speaking, that altar started uh, cracking. Jeroboam summoned some folks to get him and he reached out his hand. And a wrathful hand becomes a withered hand. I said a wrathful hand becomes a withered hand. That hand withers and he cannot, he cannot bring it back. It will, not, uh, it will not respond to the summons of his brain. And he looks at uh, this prophet and said, Would you entreat your God for me? And so the wrathful hand that becomes a withered hand becomes a restored hand. What a power in a man. Anybody question that this man was sin of God? Oh no, he was sin of God. Anybody question that this man had the, the, the anointing of God upon his life? Oh no, he was anointed. But uh, the question is today, somebody's watching which way we're going to go. Somebody's watching which way we're going to go. Yes, yes, Satan waged a war against the Word. This man was close enough to God to hear his instructions. He was dedicated enough to carry out God's intentions. He was powerful enough to stand against the wrong actions of a wicked king. He was determined enough to walk away. Walk away from what? A powerful offer. Walk away from an invitation to go home with the king. He was powerful enough to walk away from an invitation. Come, refresh thyself, and I will give you a reward. Some folks had trouble with that. And yet, uh, he was powerful enough and determined enough that he walked away from an invitation to come, and I'll give you a reward. You see, Balaam had trouble with that. You see, Gehazi had trouble with that. Gehazi had just witnessed the miracle of Naaman being healed of leprosy. By his lips, he had given to him the word from the prophet, Go wash in Jordan. And when he returns, he sees a man whose skin is clean and pure, and he's well. But when that man walked away, having offered some changes of garments and shekels of silver, 
and uh, the prophet did not receive them at that point, Gehazi said, I will run after him. And he traded a ministry of miracles because he became mastered by money. That which was a definite asset became a most dangerous liability. And what happened was that when he got there, he told a story. He told a lie. When that man who had just been healed looked back, he said, it's all well. He said, all is well, but when you left, some of the sons of the prophets came by, and my master had sent me. His master had not sent him, but his new master had sent him. He traded a ministry of miracles. And when he arrived back, the prophet said, where did you go? He said, I didn't go anywhere. He said, oh, but you did. Did not my heart go with you? And from that moment, the leprosy of Naaman clinged to he and his whole house forever, forever, forever. But this man had a stronger will. And when a king offered him reward, he said, I won't take it. I won't come back. Judas had trouble with that. Judas had trouble with that. Oh, yes, he was called. Oh, yes, this prophet was called. Oh, yes, he was committed to the cause. But he became too comfortable on the way home. We're on our way home, church. We're on our way home. He became too comfortable all the way home. He became confused and then condemned. I pastored a young man who had an uncle and aunt who lived in the area of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And they were avid outdoorsmen. And they loved to hike and to take trails and to go up into the mountainous areas. And they were there in the Lookout Mountain area. And the man, the husband, always walked ahead of his wife. And they enjoyed sharing great heights. And they were always careful. And this particular day, the young man in my church had to attend a funeral there of his aunt. And he told me later the story, and it was like this, that her husband was ahead of her, descending down a, a precipice. And, and she called for him and said, Come here, honey, and look at this beautiful sight. And when he turned, she had fallen. The immediate moment from her, from her words to him, as she had fallen and fallen to her death. And I thought of that, that here was an individual who, who stepped out of the pathway of safety to get a better look at the world below and lost the footing. Paul Harvey said a couple of years ago there were at least three people that year that lost their lives in the Grand Canyon. And he said one stepped over the guardrail. And what happened? They became overcome by a delightful view. When they became overcome by a delightful view, they overlooked the dangers and then became over off-balanced at the edge. Church and ministers... Elders, keep preaching like you preached in this conference. Keep saying it like that. Brother Haman, keep holding the line. Brother Don Haman, keep following. Keep holding the torch. Church, keep lifting up the hands. When Moses' his hands were lifted, they were, they were overcoming the Amalekites. When his hands fell, they were beginning to be defeated. 
Hallelujah. So this man, indeed, he was called. He was called. But he was just weary enough, just weary enough to rest in the danger zone. Just weary enough that he rested in the danger zone. Too close to the temptation and too tired to recognize it. I said too close to the temptation and too tired to recognize it. Weary? A dragonfly will not to chase every insect that comes in his path or flight. Lest he end the day weary and hungry. But he will pursue one until he overtake it from its weariness. Esau would have never sold his birthright except he came in weary. And from his weariness, he sold his birthright for a cheap bowl of pottage. Weariness. Elijah was weary and ran for his life. For yesterday he was the champion on Carmel. Today he's the coward that's running from... Pardon me for saying this now. I don't, uh, he's a great man, but the cowardice spirit got a hold of him and he was running from Jezebel. But he was weary. This Bible teaches me in Isaiah chapter 40 and it said even the youth shall faint and fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up, mount up with wings as the eagles. There are three things there. There's the fainting. There is also the falling. And in a fainting position or a falling position, you cannot do very much. But I want to tell you there's something else in that Scripture. There's a flying position. So if you want to go from fainting and falling and go to flying, wait on the Lord a little while. Wait on the Lord a little while. The psalmist said that we could renew our strength as does the eagle. I understand that an eagle, when he begins to get older, his feet will get crusted and it will break off. And the end of it will break and he cannot tear the flesh. He cannot uh, digest his food properly. And he knows his, his plumage is getting straggly. He's looking pitiful. His strength is diminishing. But with the strength he's got, he will fly away to some high pre precipice, to a rock somewhere. And he will pick on that rock until the old beak breaks off. And when that old beak breaks off, he will grow a new beak. And when that new beak is grown, he's able to return to the tearing of the flesh and eating of the diet that he has. And his plumage comes out. His feathers grow again. He looks like a, a young eagle. A renewing of strength. This, this meeting, Brother Haman, has brought me back to the rock. Just to pound on the rock till the old things break away. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This prophet, this prophet was just weak enough. He was weary enough. I said he was weary enough that he indeed, he rested where he should not have been resting. He had fulfilled the word of God, but now he is weary enough that he let his guard down. And he let his guard down. He's just weak enough to listen to the story of a stranger. I said, he's just weak enough to listen to the story of a stranger. He's just weak enough to listen to the 
this one now. He's just weak enough to be convinced that this old communicator of earth has a new connection with heaven. For this prophet comes to him and said, I'm a prophet too. And an angel, now watch this, an angel. But God Almighty had sent this prophet to Bethel. And this older prophet here says, an angel told me to come get you and bring you back. But I think I recall the scripture saying that if an angel or anybody else come preaching any other gospel, let it be a curse. He was just weak enough to be deceived by deception. He was just weak enough to be tricked by a title. I said tricked by a title. He was just weak enough that he, per he was persuaded by a man who only had a profession. <laughs> no man ever walked with more steady steps. No man ever spoke with more certainty. But we must consider that after he delivered his message, he had a delayed mission. And church, church, we could, we could hold the message true and we could fail in completing the mission. The mission's not over. The mission's not over. And at first what he said to Jeroboam, he didn't fail in his message. He just faltered in his mission. He just didn't complete his mission. The green vitality was flowing to this younger man while you were speaking as you were speaking here. Brother Davis, when you started this conference off and these others who have been sandwiched in, don't stop preaching that way. Because the world's looking to see which way we're going to go. Which way are we going to go? We must consider that he did. He delivered his message, but he had a delayed mission. And oh, he became a deceived messenger and a destroyed man. I really, really didn't want to preach this message as it related to my own feelings, but, but I haven't been able to get away from it. I was awakened early this morning, and, and as I was preparing, the Lord seemed to just lock in the, the essence of, of what I should call this. And, and as I was listening to the Lord, and He began to speak to me about that, that where are we going from here? Um, somebody's watching us. Which way are we going to go? Which way are we going to go? You remember a couple of old songs? A couple of songs that says, I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up. I'll walk through the lonely valley and a drink from the bitter cup. When the devil comes around trying to show me an easier way, I said, I've got my foot on the rock and my mind's made up. Woo! Our youngest daughter sings a song, I'll go to the Master. I'll go to the Master. You remember the old song, I'll go to the rock of my salvation? Where can I go when nobody wants to listen? Who can I lean on when there's no foundation stable? I'll go to the rock. Church, where are we going? We're going to the rock. We're going to the rock. I don't know. I don't know, but maybe there's a pre-shadowing that in the home of somebody who had walked away from truth, there are youngsters who are peering out to say, I want to see which way this, this prophet goes. I want to see. We, we've watched what happened in our home, but we want to see how this man turns out. 
and forgot the miracle of the afternoon because of the storm of the night. That night on board, Jesus said to them, get on board the ship and go to the other side. And that night the storm set in. And it's so easy if we're not, if we're not careful to forget the miracle of the afternoon because of the storm of the night. We can also forget the distant shore because of the present storm. Let me tell you, church, we can't lose sight of the distant shore. Hallelujah. Where are we going? Where are we going? The, church, the world is looking. I'll tell you what. I'll go to the rock. 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 God bless you. It's been my pleasure to be here. I'm going to enjoy the rest of this conference because the Lord's got His hand on this church, hasn't He? Praise the Lord. Brother Boy, I'd like for you to come and just make some remarks, maybe relative to what we've heard today, whatever you feel like. Brother Boy, very dear friend of this church, very dear friend of mine. We're just thankful to have him preach tomorrow night and over the weekend for us. Why don't we stand right now and just thank the Lord for the word we've heard today. Brother Boy. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Let's thank God for what we're hearing. Let's take a moment just to praise the Lord for what He's doing for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. It almost sounds like a cliche now, but it's so accurately descriptive of this conference. We have been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I want to thank God for the messages and the messengers that we have been blessed with in the last several hours. God is trying to tell us something, and I hope that our ears are in tuned with it, that we will remain faithful to this apostolic message and doctrine in these last days. Indeed, it is an hour of change and of changers. One of Brother Ellard's scriptures was meddled not with them that are given to change, the literal, the literal terminology in the Hebrew is metal not with changers. Just stay away from those that are experimenters. You know, there were trailblazers and then there are those who follow the trail. The apostles were the trailblazers. They were the men that hewed out the path and left the landmarks and left the blazes on the trees for us to follow. It's not our job to look for new paths. It's not our job to look for new ways. It's our job to consistently walk in the path that's already been laid out and be loyal to the men that gave it to us. While this, this man especially, the last speaker, I have enjoyed them all, but while he was preaching, I was reminded of an experience I had as a young man that I want to pass on to you, and maybe it will be a blessing to you. Many years ago, Brother Robert Cavanus preached every spring in the church in Columbus, Ohio, pastored by the late 
Bishop Carl Francis Smith, a tremendous Bible teacher of the First Order. And one year, Brother Cavanus was stricken with illness just prior to having to go to Columbus, Ohio, and could not go. And he was talking with Bishop Smith just about three days before the revival was to start. And Bishop Smith said, I understand, Elder Cavanus, but he said, I am in such a spot. What, what do you have anybody to recommend? What would I do? And uh, he said, well, if you're willing to listen to something I have to say, I'd like to just recommend a friend of mine. And we were nice by this time. He said, Elder Bowie, I feel sorry for you because you're going to face pressure and intimidation that I have never faced. Our persecution came mostly from without. We struggled in hewing out apostolic churches. We fought against the Trinitarian intimidation. We wrestled with developing our revelation of the oneness doctrine. And by and large, we had to start our churches in fields, in tents, in brush arbors, that you probably will not have to face much of that. But most of our persecution was from the world and from their anger at what we preached. But your intimidation is going to come from within the Pentecostal movement. What you have been preaching in our church, you're going to be told to cease creating division with it. To have your personal convictions if you want them. Hold them dear. But do not speak them in our general gatherings so they do not cause division and schism in the body of Christ. You're going to feel a pressure to please your contemporaries. You're going to feel an intimidation to conform to the men round about you. I feel so sorry for you, young man. And by this time, his lips were quivering, and I was crying. And he shook his fist in my face and waved that long, bony finger at me and said, But son... Don't you give in one bit. That's been nearly 30 years ago. But to this day, I'm thankful I can still see that old chocolate-covered finger, that brown finger saying, Son, don't you give in. And to my brethren in this service this afternoon, we're just a small part of Pentecost, this conference Oh, I, Brother Heyman told me that he sent out something like nearly 4,000 invitations to this Mile High Conference. Oh, those 300, those 3,975, 80, or whoever it was that didn't come of the ministers are cutting their noses off to spite their faces. I know some are busy with other other schedules, and I realize that. But I'm telling you, I'm glad that God allowed me to be here. There's something special about this conference this year. And God is trying to get us recommitted and re-zealous to this old-time apostolic message to take us back to the burning zeal of our youth when we were consumed with a fire for this Pentecostal message. Paul said to Timothy, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. 
broke it just like you got it. We got it with a zeal and enthusiasm. I remember when Brother Howard Davis was preaching, when God gave me a revelation about television. Just a young man sitting on the platform helping Brother Carl Ballestero. And God opened my eyes through the ministry of Brother Howard Davis on that subject. And I was so thrilled. How zealous I was for it all in those days. I remember when I met Brother Young and his brethren, and we were just kid preachers from the campground in, in uh, Tioga, Louisiana, but so full of vinegar. I remember my first time hearing him preach was in the little, the little uh, chapel out there on the Tioga campground. I don't even know if that little building is still there or not. But a little small chapel, and that's where they let us young preachers go over there and blow off our steam and learn how to handle ourselves in the pulpit. And we were so full of vinegar about this Pentecostal message that, oh, God, help the Lord to renew that in us this afternoon and take us back to the fire of our youth for this Pentecostal message. Some days ago, I have a picture of Bishop Carl Smith. I have been such a lucky stiff. I was born a Pentecostal kid and I'm a fourth generation Pentecostal preacher and I'm so proud of it. I'm so thankful I don't have to say I, I you know that I and I have great empathy with those who came right in out of the world and I know that you have experiences I'll never have, but God saves some of us out of sin and he saves others from it, but he has to save us. But I'm so thankful I'm a fourth generation uh, Pentecostal preacher and I and our home has been almost every major name of the Pentecostal movement of the 20th century. Barring the first group of the 19 teens who died before I was born, but even some of them who lived long enough to have passed through our home were in our house. And I would sit and listen to them talk and argue and spit and fuss and discuss this Pentecostal message. And I sat as as invisibly as I could in corners of living rooms to keep from being seen so I, Dad wouldn't make me go to my room. And listen, how lucky I have been, how blessed I have been. And a few days ago, I was sitting in my office pondering some of these things his brethren have been preaching, and I saw the picture of Bishop Carl Smith. And I grabbed it, and I looked at it a while, and I said, Bishop, I hadn't done it yet. I haven't given in yet. But it's because of men like Brother Ellard and Brother Green and Brother Marty Ballestero and Brother Chris Gilmer and Brother Howard Davis and the men who will follow in the morning that are keeping us ready. And saints of God, you're lucky stiffs. Will Denver, would you please wake up and realize how lucky you are? I know we don't believe in luck. I'm just using that terminology. Would you please realize how blessed you are being to sit here and I'm telling you, you don't have to visit Jerusalem to experience the Jerusalem experience. The Jerusalem touch is here. You're right in it. Don't miss the forest for the trees. Wake up, look up. It's happening right under your nose. Thank God for this message. Stand together. Jesus, Jesus, how trust in how I prove him more 